So here we go. So I was praying about what to share uh, with you today, and I started thinking about the fact that one of the issues that we have in our culture today specifically is that people struggle with their identity. Uh, we have a lot of um, manifestations of that. People are very um, dissatisfied with who they are. Um, some people are struggling um, to know uh, who they are physically and emotionally and um, definitely spiritually. So um, it's very important for us to realize who we are um, in God's eyes and to have Him define who we are in a very real way. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, we, we see a couple different things, um, and I'm going to just go over them with you before we go through them. First, we discover, um, my, my message is titled, The Truth About Us. Okay, and, and the first thing we discover is that we were dead. The second thing we discover is that we are now alive if we've trusted Christ. And the third thing we discover is what God expects for us to do now that we are alive. So, let's just go um, and uh, uh, read the first three verses. Um, the first three verses read as follows. And you had the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked, according to the course of the world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that worketh now in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, more by nature, children of wrath, even as others. So, this is setting up for us the fact that you and I, apart from God, are evil. We have no goodness in our hearts of our own volition. Paul said it this way when he said, I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. Doesn't leave much of an option for, for something good coming out of our flesh, does it? It means that we are totally separate from God. And if, if we look at this list, we can... We can tend to think, well, that is somebody else. But when we realize that Jesus not only talked about the physical actions that we did, but the mental actions that we did, then we can all find ourselves in this list at certain points. Um, like, for instance, he says if you... Hate your brother without cause, you're a murderer. If you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you're, you're guilty of adultery. And he's basically saying that without Christ, you have no hope. You're dead. It's not a question of making bad people good or making good people better because some people say that 
uh, we as people are basically good and sometimes we screw up. The, the greater reality is that we sometimes do the right thing. And so, um, so this is the reality that we find ourselves in, is we are dead. We have no hope. And if that's, if you are wondering how to get out of a bad place in your life, you are depressed and you don't know why you're here, I would encourage you to think about this passage. That without Jesus, you have no hope. You don't have direction because there's no reason why any of us should be here if there's not a God who's over it all, who has made us all for His purpose. I can tell you from experience that I lived in a place of despair. When I was five years old, I made the decision to follow Christ with my life. It was the best decision I ever made, but until I was 14 years old, I still argued with God about my temporary situation of being in a wheelchair and being uh, disabled for life. And I always questioned God and said, God, why would you allow this to happen? I, I am, you know, I, I could do so much more for you if I was able-bodied. And God worked through a variety of things, um, such as my Christian parents who never failed to take me to church, and even through the death of my younger brother to bring me to a place of seeing that he had a purpose for me that was above and beyond anything that I could ever imagine. And as we're looking at this aspect of being dead, um, I want to look at um, this cross-reference in 1 Corinthians 6.11. So then such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So in 1 Corinthians 6.11, we're seeing that we, that everyone that Paul is writing to had this situation of being dead in sin. No hope, nothing to be done. But then he says in 1 Corinthians 6.11, But then you were washed. How are we washed? By the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in, in 1 Peter that we were not bought with corruptible things, such as silver or gold, but that we were bought with the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to realize as we go into the next section here, that... We were dead, but the next phrase, which comes in our second part here, is but God. When you see the words but God, you know something amazing is about to happen. And what it says here is... That God 
is about to be uh, about to change the dynamic, change the paradigm. And that's what God did when He sent Jesus. It says in Galatians, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son who, to redeem those who are under the law. He fulfilled the law and then He redeemed those who are under the law. And He came at just the right time. You know, a lot of times, in my Christian life, I think, well, well, God can take care of this situation right now. Whatever the situation is that I'm facing. And when He doesn't do it on my timetable, I always ask myself, why is He not doing it on my timetable? Why is He, is he choosing to do things um, the way He's doing them? Because this is really not good, God. Why aren't you just... Just taking over the situation. And I realize as I go through life that God has his timing and his ways and everything. Um, I'm very thankful that over this past spring, um, well, over the past couple years, a group of churches have taken in hand to be uh, primary vehicles in, in paying off my van which allows me to travel around and preach. I have a ministry called Speaking for Him. You can find it at speakingthenumberforhim.com. And I have a weekly podcast on there every Friday, as well as I'm always looking for new churches to speak in, so make sure that you avail yourself of the resources on that website. But I really see God's hand in fulfilling my needs, even if it's not in my timing. So, we saw with our first point that um, we are dead. There's no way for us to become alive ourselves. In Egypt, a Christian worker was trying to show the way of salvation to a young soldier who supposed he could become a Christian by being good. Finally, the truth dawned on him that God was offering him a gift. And he exclaimed, I see it now. God does not accept me, expect me to live his life without first giving me his nature. I don't know about you, but even as a Christian, sometimes I try to live the life, put the Christian life on my own. I try to do um, the, the Christian journey on my own. And as we already established, there's nothing in us that gives us the power to do that. So what's the answer? The answer is found in our second point. Um, we talked first that we, we, we are dead, our natural state is dead. But our, but our next phase is that because of Jesus, we are alive. In Ephesians 2.4... Verse to nine, Paul says this: But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness through Jesus. Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. So we see this great phrase about God. And we, we, we see that He is rich in mercy. And He has a great love wherewith He loved us. I, I think of it often that God had this opportunity if He wanted to. To start over with creation. And Adam and Eve failed. He could have just said, I'm, I'm just going to start over. But He didn't do that. He made a plan of redemption. Which begins to be laid out for us in Genesis chapter 3. When he says that his seed is going to to crush the, the head of the serpent. So he already has Jesus planning to come, even at that early juncture. And we see that he quickened us together. And he, um, uh, he quickened us together with Christ. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He could have easily left us where we were dead, but he didn't. He quickened us. That reminded me of the story of Lazarus when Lazarus was was sick and, and the disciples heard and they said, Let's let's go. Um, you know, basically they thought you know, uh, Mary and Martha thought that Jesus would just come and, and, and when he was sick and he would lay his hand on him and make him better. But no. He heard that Lazarus was sick and he waited three days. And then he went and raised Lazarus from the dead. And as he said, Lazarus come forth. Lazarus was quickened. His life returned to his body, and he walked out of the tomb. And I often think of the significance of Lazarus's name in that passage because do you ever think about the fact that this is the Creator God, Jesus, who was there at the beginning of time, and then he had just said, "Come forth." Who knows how many um, dead would have come out of the graves? But he calls Lazarus by name. And he raises, raises him from the dead. And ironically, this makes the Pharisees so bad that they want to kill Lazarus again. Because um, Jesus made him alive and that increased his popularity. And they totally missed the point. And then it says, He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have a place in the royal family. We've been adopted. Paul said it's because of God's grace, because of what Jesus Christ has done, that we are able to say, Abba, Father. And basically that's just saying that we have um, uh, an ability to be uh, counted as family of God. The Bible says one of, many, one of Jesus' many names is the firstborn among many brethren. So... So we are counted in a sense as his brothers and sisters. He's counted as the first born from the dead. He rose from the dead. But he's the last Adam. So whereas Adam brought death when he sinned, Jesus brought life by his perfection and by his resurrection from the dead. 
And then it says that in the ages to come, He might show us exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is not very concerned, quite frankly, with yours and my reputation. He's not. But He is concerned with His. He is a faithful God. He is a true God, and He's shown Himself to be a loving God. I often think, when I when I'm expressing the truth of God, I often think of the scene from *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe* by C.S. Lewis, when um, the Pevensey children, Peter, Susan, and Lucy, Edmund had gone off by this time, but or maybe he was still there. Maybe Edmund was still there, but. The scene is that he's there with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And Mr. and Mrs. Beaver tell him that Aslan is on the moon. And they say, who's Aslan? And uh, they say, he's the great lion. And then they ask the question, they say, is he a safe lion? Because you know, typically lions aren't safe. You don't want to be around lions. You want to get as far away from lions as you can. And they said, no, he's not safe. But he is good. And that is the same thing we can say about the God that we have to deal with today. He's not safe. But he is good. Well, it's a fearful thing for a man to fall into the hands of the angry God. We serve a God who is angered by sin. Who can't stand sin in His presence. But we also serve a God who is rich in mercy. So when we confess our sins to Him, He will save us. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Blessed any of you. Votes. You know, I learned this verse many times, but it wasn't until recently that I began to realize that there might be a slightly different context to this verse than I had thought before. This is there. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. I've begun to think in the last few years that even the faith to believe is not of ourselves. What does it say in Romans? No man seeks after God. And Jesus said, No man comes to me except the Father draws him to me. So what does that say to us? It says to us, in fact, at the very fact that we have the opportunity to come before God and to accept salvation is of God's mercy. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Think about the fact that if it was of works, how would we know we've done enough? Is it one good deed a day? Is it restricting ourselves to one sin a day? You realize that if it was one sin a day for a year, it would still be 365 sins. Multiply that by 60 or 70 years, we're talking about a lot of sin. So see, none of us 
could have been good enough for heaven. The only way to be good enough for heaven is by the grace of Jesus Christ, as it talks about here. But after, okay, Titus 3, 4 to 7 says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appear, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that being justified by His grace, we shall be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, talking about us being in the family of God. Talking about the kindness and love of God our Savior. So, the question is, the question that we all have to ask ourselves is, have we accepted this free gift of salvation? Do we know what it means to be saved by grace through faith alone? Do we know what it means to be living our lives not for ourselves, but for Him? This is a question, once again, that we all must ask. And so... It brings us to our third point. We talked about how we were dead and then how we are now alive. Our third point in Ephesians 2, 10 to 15 is, what now? What's the thing that we are to do now? You know, a lot of times when we, when we preach the gospel, we say to these people that if you accept the gospel, you can live an abundant life and Jesus will give you all this stuff that you can only, you can never seek to uh, imagine what it's going to be like. Which is true. But we need to make sure that people know that there's a cost to discipleship. Jesus said, if a man follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It may be harder for you to follow Christ than to not follow Christ. You may have friends who says, why are you not hanging out with me anymore? And it's because you have a new life with a new goal. Your goal is no longer to live for yourself, but to live for Christ. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10 to 15. And we'll, we'll figure out some of the things that we need to do now. Because we love Jesus. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh by hands, that in that, that, in that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, he who sometimes were far off, remained nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And so Paul is talking here in the context of the time about God bringing together Jews and Gentiles into one family. Because the Jews were God's chosen people. And then God extended the gift of salvation to the Gentiles and he actually commissioned Paul as the apostles of the Gentiles. So the first thing we notice about what to do now is that we are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus. We've been given a calling and a plan. If you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you have something that God wants you to do. I don't know what that is for you. For me, it's traveling around and preaching the gospel. It's the number one passion of my life. It's what wakes me up in the morning. And what helps me go to bed in peace at night is being able to do that. And then he talks about kind of the physical differences between Gentiles and Jews. But then he says, you were without Christ, verse 12, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no home and without God in the world. That's who I was as that five-year-old boy who came to Christ. I was without hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. There's nothing that allows me to be close to God if I stay in my sin. If I wallow in my sin, there's nothing that allows me to be close to Christ. You can't stand the stench of sin. And yet, if I trust Him with my life, He takes my sin. The Bible says in um, 1 Corinthians 5.21 that He who knew no sin became sin for me, um, became sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God, that you might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He became sin for you, he became sin for me, so that we could be counted as the righteousness of God. That's a very surreal thought, to think that, that God looks at me and sees the righteousness of his son Jesus, even though I myself am not righteous. And then he says, for he is our peace, who had made both one and had broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments containing ordinances, for to make himself a twain, one new man, so making peace. There's so much division in the world today. If you open up the newspaper or you turn on the news, 
We all look for ways to divide and label one another, but God says that if we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, our ministry is one of reconciliation. We are to be one in Him. Jesus prayed for us before He went to the cross and He said, Lord, I pray that all believers be one, even as you and I are one. I want to remind you also that Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. So, my challenge to you would be to try and figure out ways that you can be peacemakers today. Whether you're working here at camp, whether you're going in separate ways into your own homes, hometowns, and that you would show the love of Jesus. That you would convey what um, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver did in that example I gave, that the God we serve is not a safe God. He still has to give justice to sin, but he is a good God. That's why he died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. was because he needed to pay the penalty for sin. And he rose again on the third day to be the exclamation point to show everyone that he had gained the victory over death and hell. What an amazing, amazing thought that truly is. So, I just want to read you one more verse from Hebrews and then a final story by way of illustration as we close. In Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 it says, Now the God of peace that brought Again, from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And there's a couple things we can bring out of this verse too. First of all, he's the God of peace. He brought us peace. The first thing he said to the disciples after he rose from the dead is peace be unto you. Why? Because he made peace with God for us. We no longer had to cower and hide from God. We could approach God boldly, as Paul said, in time of need. And then I think it's very important that it talks about him as the great shepherd of the sheep. And that the covenant that He made with us is an everlasting covenant. And that He's making us perfect in every good work to do His will. Working in you which is that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. He, Paul says, working in you both to will and to do of His pleasure. A lot of times, I, a lot of times I think I'm doing the work and then I do it do it in my own strength and then God doesn't get the glory. But the reality is the real work that He does in me, the real work that He does in us because He takes over and He works through us. We are just 
the blessing. So as we close today, I wonder if you really are a vessel for Him. I wonder if you have made that decision. May I challenge you to make that decision that from this day forward, from July 15, 2018, I'm going to be a vessel for the use of Jesus. And if you are that, if you have committed to be His vessel, might I encourage you, as Paul encouraged the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, Lord. I know you've had, for those who might be on staff here, you've had several weeks of camp already. It's kind of the mid-summer. But may I encourage you to push on to the end. To keep pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And now I just want to close with this illustration. Which says, God never goes to the lazy or the idle when he needs men for his service. When God wants a worker, he calls a worker. When he has work to be done, he goes to those already at work. When God wants a good servant, he calls a busy man. Scripture and history attest to this truth. Moses was busy with his flocks at Horeb. Gideon was busy threshing wheat by the wine press. Saul was busy searching for his father's lost beasts. Elisha was busy plowing with twelve yoke of oxen. David was busy caring for his father's sheep. Nehemiah was busy bearing the king's wine cup. Amos was busy following the flock. Peter and Andrew were busy casting a net into the sea. James and John were busy mending their nets. Matthew was busy collecting customs. And William Carey was busy making and mending shoes. So I don't know where God has you. I don't know what your day-to-day life is like. I just know this. That God has a plan for you. And it's not over just because they're older either. Keep in mind that that Moses didn't even begin his journey with the Israelites until he was 80 years old. Uh, David Jeremiah, I believe, said it this way. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. Then he spent 40 years learning he was nobody on the back of the desert. Then he spent 40 years realizing that God could take a nobody and make him into a somebody. Every part of our lives has a, has a purpose and a plan in the eyes of God. I trust that you will be encouraged by who you are. That you won't let the world define who you are. Think, if you ever get discouraged, just think about the Matthew Webb song. It says, I'm a child of the one true king. Because if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's the greatest reality of your life. Nothing else matters. And if you haven't, make sure you do it today. If you would like more information about that, I'm sure there are staff members here at the camp that would be grateful to help you. I'd be grateful to open the Bible with you and show you how you can be a new person in Jesus Christ as well. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for Ephesians. We thank you that you talked to, talk to us in this passage about how if we were sinners, we had no hope, but then you gave us hope. And Lord, just thank you for being our hope in the midst of hopelessness. Thank you that you always have a plan. Thank you that you said you'd never leave us or forsake us. Now go with us in whatever activities we have planned for the day. Uh, give us journey mercies as we go our separate ways. And bless the remaining summer ministry of Camp Mishawana. In Jesus' name, amen.